Ever wonder the true power of sports? Well, you come to the right place. Welcome to the Sports for Social Impact podcast. I'm David Thibodeau, and I believe that by exploring the intersection between sport and society, we can better leverage the sport industry for maximum impact. We explore what sports true power is to understand the impacts on and the impacts of sports on society. Join me as we learn how sports can influence important policy areas such as the environment, transportation, education, and so much more. So the piece of news for today comes out of Toronto, and it's about a report that I saw that comes from the MLSE Foundation, so Maple Leaf Sports and Entertainment Limited. Uh, now, this is a uh, you know the pair company of the four major uh, sport teams in um, in Toronto. So the, you know the, the Toronto Maple Leafs, the hockey team, the Raptors, which is the basketball team, the soccer team, and then also the football team there. So this report is from the foundation. So the MLSE Foundation. It's titled "Change the Game Research." Uh, and it's a study focused on youth sport access, engagement, and equity factors in the wake of the pandemic. So this report wanted to fill the gap in Canadian research related to race, geography, household income, and other aspects of marginalization. Um, so more than 6,800 individual youth and parents from across Ontario, uh, the Canadian province of Ontario, were engaged in this study. Um, and it's quite interesting. So it, I, I just pulled out a few key stats that I thought were particularly interesting. Um, but so for youth participation in sports over the last two years in, you know, during the pandemic um, in Canada, in Ontario, for, so for uh, children from low income families, only 57.7% of youth participated in sports. For middle income families, 69.6% of youth participated in sports. And for high-income families, 86.9% of families participated in sport. So there's quite a big jump. Um, you know, you can really see how, you know, high income, you know, the higher income you have, the more likely you are to, to be able to still participate in sports uh, during the pandemic. Um, more than one in three Black youth, one in four Indigenous youth, and one in five BIPOC, so that's Black, Indigenous, and people of color youth, um, report having been directly experiencing racism in sports and youth who participated in sports in the last two years were 91% more likely to list a very strong sense of community. Less than half the youth who played a, a team sport pre-pandemic were engaged in their sport now. Um, so there's a lot more in there. Uh, there's just a couple of, couple of stats that I thought was really interesting. Um, this report also has uh, interesting recommendations at the end for policymakers uh, for, for, for funders and policymakers, also for uh, sport and recreation providers, so, you know, designing sports, sport programming around, uh, you know, the primary reason why youth play sports, uh, you know, review recruitment and hiring practice for, practices for coaches and staff. Um, so, yeah, it's quite interesting. Uh, definitely go take a look at it. Look at it at, it's linked in the show notes. Katie Lippitt is the country director at Kids Play International based in Siem Reap, Cambodia. She's a postgraduate student-athlete from the University of Nottingham in England, where she completed an MSc in Business and Management. 
Kids Play International believes gender equality transforms communities and countries and that it is not only women's right, it is a human right. KPI leverages the power of sport and the Olympic values in a safe space so girls and boys can positively challenge and shift harmful gender and social cultural norms. Sport has been proven to provide a unique environment where harmful norms can be renegotiated, giving girls the same opportunities as boys to reach their full potential. This was a really great conversation that I had today with Katie. Um, it was super insightful. Uh, she gave you know many, many best practices that people can apply in their own sport programming. Um, and it was just an all around great conversation um, you know, on how they are you know, really connecting sport with their values and sport with their with their goals and what they want to accomplish in Cambodia and in Rwanda. So I hope everyone learns as much from this episode as I did. Today, my guest is Katie Lippitt. She is the country director for Kids Play International, and she's joining me from Cambodia today. Katie, thank you so much for joining me. Um, just take you know a couple of minutes to introduce yourself and talk a little bit about what you do with Kids Play International. Yeah, thank you so much for having me, David. I feel honored that you asked me to be on today. Um, my name is Katie Lippitt. I'm from Atlanta, Georgia, and I've been working for Kids Play International for about four and a half years now. I came to Cambodia in November of 2018 to expand our programs here. Every day looks very different for me, um, and we can get into that later, but our main mission at Kids Play International is to promote gender equality through sports. So when I first started at Kids Play International, I came in as a program coordinator, um, and over the past four years, I've been able to um, work my way up to country director, and so I've worn a lot of different hats, and every day has been very different for me. That's awesome. Um, yeah, and thank you. Yeah, thank you so much for coming on and talking about your experiences with Kid Play International. I'm sure it's going to be a really interesting and fruitful conversation for um, everybody listening to to learn about what's happening and what your the important work that you are doing for gender equality and in, in Cambodia through sports. So that's really awesome. Yeah. So um, tell us a bit more about Kids Play International. So you know um, what? So you talked about the mission. So talk about some of the programs and stuff that you have through through uh, Kids Play International. Yeah, so Kids Play International was founded by three-time U.S. Olympian freestyle skier Tracy Evans. So she personally felt the impact of sports in her life. She was the first female aerialist to do a triple backflip or something like that. I know nothing about <laughs> no sports, but she did something very impressive. Um, and her mother was a travel nurse. And so when she was, I think about in her thirties, she started going on these different trips with her mom and started recognizing the impact of just the development world. And I think on a lot of these trips, she would try to initiate different types of sports games as a way of trying to connect the community. And there's this one profound moment where there was a little boy named Thomas who came up to her after they were playing baseball or some type of peculiar sport. And she, he came over and said, wow, I can see girls can play. And I think that kind of started <laughs> making her mind go in a million different ways and thinking of the possibilities because in a lot of countries, football or soccer um, is the most predominant sport. And typically boys are already way ahead. And so Tracy started thinking, wow, what if we started introducing these unfamiliar sports where the level field or the playing field is more leveled and 
boys are more receptive to girls coming in and playing with them. And so essentially she went back, hired a consultancy agency to help create this curriculum and trainings and KPI Rwanda was established 12 years ago. So that is kind of how KPI came into fruition. We have a lot of different programs. Our main program is the Let's Play Fair program, and that's our mixed gender sports programming. And so this is happening daily. And what happens is boys and girls are brought together. They're separated into different teams that are mixed gender, and they go through six seasons of different sports. And so the curriculum is actually standardized based on age group. And so the idea is when they enter into the Let's Play Fair program at seven years old, they will constantly be progressing and not only their sports knowledge, but also the content that we're teaching through sport. And so by the time they're 18, they've learned this very robust curriculum and have been able to grow their skills in a lot of different areas. Um, we also have our All Girls United program, and that's specifically just for our females aged 13 to 18. And this occurs once a month. And we also have camps about three times a year. And the purpose of this program is to provide a safe space for girls to talk about different stigmatized topics, such as menstrual hygiene management, sexual reproductive health, and topics that they might have never had the opportunity speak, to speak about in their communities before. Then we also have our Playfair Community Day programs, and this happens every Sunday, once a week, and it's open to everyone. And so the players that are in our program can invite their brothers, their sisters, their neighbors. We also have parent community days that are more educational type sessions. Um, we sometimes will do it teacher-based. We have different events. And so those are the three core programs. In Rwanda, there has been a lot of additional programs that have also been added on. We've kind of the other part of All Girls United is they started a supportive boys initiative last year and it's more so teaching boys about how to be advocates for females, how to be an ally um, and teaching them topics like toxic masculinity um, so that they can also have a safe space to discuss and really understand these things um, with their male coaches. And then they also started a mental health programming where they have lay counselors for the community for people to do, we call them happy hours, to come and drop in and just speak about maybe something that's going on personally, whether it's in their home, at their school. Um, and from that, that has also been developed into the curriculum. So we've got a lot going on in a lot of different areas, but the Let's Play Fair program is probably, I would say, the biggest bulk of our programming, and it's where we have the most players engaged. Okay, yeah, awesome, and that, that's, it's so cool to see that you, like, or cool to hear that you have so many different programs going on at the same time. Um, yeah. So what, what, you know, you talked about, you know, promoting gender equality through sports, so what are the long-term goals of Kids play international, you know, for like, how are you going to achieve gender equality? And like, what, what are you, what are you really aiming for? Yeah. And so I think one of the biggest factors is that gender equality is obviously very much a long-term goal. And I think you see it very slowly through behavioral changes. I think long-term is to be able to 
one affect individuals, but then have that have a domino effect. So in all of our curriculum, as they progress through, we have different levels of impact. And so we then want to see them impacting their home, then want the, to see them impacting their classrooms, then want them to their communities and everything on a global scale. And so I think to really be able to transform some of these um, harmful gender norms that are culturally um, really embedded into their communities. And I wanna go a little bit more specific of like how we do this in our Let's Play Fair program. And so let's say we are teaching about consent or it could be about like basic respect. We'd have a theme that is tied to the sport. And so if we were playing baseball and you were my partner and we were doing some type of throwing drill, I might throw you the ball and I say like, do you want a fast throw or like a soft throw? Do you want an underhead th hand throw or do you want a high ball? Do you want a pop-up? Do you want a ground ball? And so you would obviously be answering me, telling me what type of throw you want. It's very simple, it's very organic, but then at the end of our programming, we always have a 20 minute discussion called team time. And so they gather with their coaches, there's no more than 10 in a group, so it should be a relatively intimate setting. And depending on what age they're in, um, there will be age appropriate questions. And so tying back to the game. And so for instance, I might ask, hey, how did you like being able to share what type of ball that you wanted today? Um, did your partner listen to you? How did it feel when they didn't listen and they threw whatever they wanted? And then you would relate it to the community. And so it would be like, hey, was there a time in your life where someone did not listen to you and it upset you? Um, and as it progresses, we would get more deeper into consent and what that looks like in relationships and romantic relationships, um, how that's related to harassment and different things. And so the sport is really the tool. We're not trying to build elite professional athletes, which is sometimes hard because I think that's what the community um, really only views sports as. And so when we're trying to explain, oh, this is an educational tool that you'll see long-term, it's really hard sometimes to get the community to wrap their minds around that and to really get on um, your side with it. But I think in four years, we have been able to see a lot of transformation and just like the daily behavior of our players. We've been able to see their grades go up, their attendance in school go up. And I think it's a culmination of things. It's also having these local community members um, that are their coaches. And most of our coaches are teachers in their school. And so these lessons that they're teaching them at our program, they're also being able to apply it in their classrooms. And so they're having these caring adult role models that are these gender equity ambassadors really just living their life with them. And so I think that has like a very profound impact on a young child and for them to have an adult like that in their life from seven to 18, um, where it isn't that common to have a, that type of support system. It's, it, you, you can just see a transformation on a kid's self-esteem and confidence in such a short amount of time. And so that was a very long-winded answer <laughs> to the long-term impact, but I feel like I had to go a little bit more in depth of how the actual curriculum works and yeah. how we how it shapes um, our kids' thinking and behavior. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that's a really great concrete and like probably one of the most concrete examples that I've heard mm -hmm. since like really starting the pod, you know, obviously there's lots of great examples out there, but like yeah. a really concrete example of 
you know, taking that sport program and then relating it back to the community with, you know, with your team time yeah. and those questions and stuff. So that, that's, that is, I think, a really excellent example of, you know, like, you know, using sport for social good yeah. and, you know, it's promoting gender equality in, in the community. Yeah. And, you know, sometimes, and I think this also has its own benefits, but I'll see other organizations that get a big grant and they are supposed to implement gender. And the way they do that is just by throwing a ball on the pitch and like saying boys and girls go run or go play together. And not that it doesn't have an impact, it's obviously inclusive, but I think being very strategic and being able to have reflection time, I think is very, very key because yes, let them organically play, but then let them allow them the time to kind of dissect what's happening. And a lot of times too, we'll implement these like gender equality rules or gender equity rules or purposely do something that we know is going to potentially cause um, a discussion or a heated debate, whether it's, hey, if the girl scored, they get two points, you know, or the boys um, during this game, you have to turn around and, or you can't look or you have to use your weak foot, but then being able to speak and relate it to often in society, this is how girls feel or this is how they're um, put in these different types of situation in the workplace and boys, how did you feel in that type of situation? And so I think everything that we do has a lot of strategy to then initiate deeper conversations and sometimes they're going to disagree and that's what we want. We want it to be honest. We don't want them to just be regurgitating what we say. We want them to actually be able to think freely and be able to process these different types of concepts in a really honest, vulnerable and raw way. Mm -hmm. That That is amazing. I think that's so like, you know, t teaching those critical thinking skills through the sport and about yeah. these, about these difficult, you know, difficult comments and different difficult conversations to have, I think is, um, is absolutely crucial. Um, yeah. So why do you think that gender equality, well, you know, you can say when yeah. is it not a good time, <laughs> but why do you think gender equality you know, why, why is promoting gender equality in Cambodia important at this point in time specifically? Yeah, so I would say um, in terms of gender equality in Cambodia, it has come a long way within the last decade. I would say because of the genocide that occurred not too long ago. And this is also why we work in Rwanda, typical Typically, when you have an area that's experienced high violence, the first people that are targeted are children and women. And then often they are left to rebuild the country and reshape after they've um, just experienced the torture and torment of war. Um, and statistically, you often see that these countries have higher rates of gender-based violence after these massive conflicts. And so, I think that was a big driver for being able to work in these countries. And we've done some workshops as well in Myanmar. Um, I would say Cambodia is at the state where they can recognize the value of a female getting education to a certain level. I don't think they would, I think once they get to a point where they can read and write, often that suffices. Um, and if they have the ability to be able to continue, then I think there's not a lot of um, rebuttal from the parents. But as soon as someone, if there's an extra baby in the house, if there needs to be more help in the field, then I think often it is the women that are pulled out to help with those tasks. Um, I would say as well, because 
of the history of Cambodia during the genocide, people that were educated, that were in arts, music, sport, they were the ones that were targeted. Um, and so I think from that standpoint, they were really building from ground zero in terms of this area and just rebuilding their culture. And so I do think it is at the level now where they recognize the importance of education. But I think when you think about music, art, sport, <laughs> everything is like way down. And it, I think there's especially a big drop off for sport. And for us, one of the biggest issues is even the people who would see the value of sport, it's more so to develop these elite athletes. And when we say, oh, we're teaching gender equality through sports, mm -hmm. people cannot wrap their mind around the importance of that. Um, and so I think that obviously gender equality is really important everywhere around the world. I personally, I started playing soccer or football. I don't know what demographic is listening to this podcast um, but I started playing soccer when I was four and my dad was my first coach and I played on an all-boys team and I remember my dad um making rules that the boys had to pass it to me before they could score because I was never getting the ball and when I reflect back on that it's such a small small thing but my dad wasn't doing that because he thought I was amazing and he thought I was good and at that time I added so much value to the team but it was because he knew that if I didn't get that opportunity then then I would never get it later mm -hmm. and it's been able to open so many doors for me and I think having that belief or having someone believe you are valuable and that you deserve equal opportunities at such a young age um, really does impact your like comp confidence, your self-esteem. And so I think that's what um, is one of the biggest things is here. And I think it's everywhere in the world. It's often, okay, I will view a woman or a female as equal once she proves herself instead of at a young age looking at like how are we actually going to create these opportunities for them to be invested in, for them to be a part of education and not just saying, hey, you can be on this field, but actually investing in them. Not saying, hey, you can be in this classroom, but actually setting them up to succeed so that down the road, it's like, oh, wow, this I want this person to be a part of my team or be a part of my business or whatever that is. But I think at a young age, just making sure that females really feel included in all sense of the word included and not just like a body that's actually there, but as like an active part of society or the organization or whatever that they want to be a part of. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that, you know, kind of goes back to, um, you know, this idea that, you know, uh, when they get older, women have to be, you know, 10 times better than a man to be recognized for the same, for the same kind of work right like yeah um, which is which is not yeah. right at all it's absolutely ridiculous yeah. um but yeah you know really going back to you know childhood and making sure that you know these women and girls feel you know valued mm -hmm. that they are included that they're val um that they are important in the roles that they're going to be playing you know and as part of the sports team or whatever they're going to do yeah. for the rest of their life is yeah. absolutely critical and very very important for you know development Mm -hmm. uh, the development of you know young people and um and yeah sports is a great way to build those connections between you know young boys and young girls especially in in, in cultures where there are a lot of you know norms that 
are discriminatory against women. You know, obviously there's there's yeah. some norms everywhere that can you know can be improved on, but uh, some countries are you know definitely you know worse than others. Um, mm-hmm. But so that, yeah, I think it's really interesting to to you know to hear that you're really having those conversations, you're pushing those conversations, especially in these um, you know these countries that are that are still you know. Um, you know, growing and dealing with the the pain mm-hmm. that they suffered during those those genocides, um, yeah. and and helping heal those communities and heal those mm-hmm. and heal those wounds. Yeah, so that's really amazing. Um, Thank you. So you, you talked a little bit about the the impact. So you know, higher school um, yeah. higher school grades, higher school attendance. Mm-hmm. Um, are there any other sort of impacts that you've seen in the community? You know, um, between you know between boys and girls or any anything else that you've seen? Yeah, I would say as well, I've been able to see how sport has like transcended all um, barriers. Like even I like to call our middle school group like the breakfast club because we have <laughs> people that are like the member of members of the LGBTQ plus community. We have all different shapes and sizes. And especially it's a lot of people who would never really um, maybe be the first pick for a team and are probably often excluded in Cambodia from being welcomed in sports because I think although sports is so great at being inclusive, a lot of countries still have it as like something that's very masculine and reserved for masculine males. And so I think it's really cool that our program um, isn't like that, but it is open to everyone and that it is so much of a safe space for all different types of people to come in. And I think, um, and I, I've referenced this before, but I think the biggest thing is like, just seeing the confidence. And we always do these focus group discussions at the end of the year. And I think one of the biggest things is each year I've seen players more willing to advocate not only for themselves, but for others. I think initially, because there's such a big power distance in Cambodia, you would, the hierarchy of respect and what you would push and not push, um, I think, especially for young people, um, is very low. And so a lot of people wouldn't ever really speak up for themselves or against issues, or whenever we would try to bring up certain topics to talk about, in our reflection time, it was often very quiet that first year because people are very scared and intimidated to say something that might be controversial. Whereas now we just did a focus group the other day and these girls are just sharing these situations that have actually happened of them like speaking up in public against like a guy that touched a girl and um, or pulling them aside and sharing uh, and like holding their male friends accountable. And it's like these types of things that kind of occur over time. But then when you hear the situations, it's like, wow, like you are your first year barely even opened up or shared about anything. And we also do a lot of M&E. And so we're able to like track some of their answers on different scenario based questions and even obviously like multiple choice. And so I think we've been able to see um, a big change and just attitudes, especially towards gender equality. Um, I think as well, we've also seen impact through our different programs with like teachers and parents. And so we've done some different um, workshops with teachers to teach them how to facilitate um, in a 
gender equitable manner. So like, how are they making their classrooms equal for both boys and girls? And it's just by like rethinking about like the little things. Are you encouraging mixed gender partner work? Are you encouraging like mixed gender leadership? How are you um, engaging with them in the classroom? And we've done classroom observations each year as well. And I think it's been really cool to also see the shift and change in the way that they would facilitate their classrooms um, and where people are getting more equitable opportunities. Um, and then I would say the biggest transformation and actually COVID has helped with this in some ways, but parents did not understand KPI when we first came and why we are here and what we are doing with their children. Um, and over time, one, they've been able to see their kids help more at home, their boys taking on different types of household chores that maybe they wouldn't, better relationships between the siblings. Um, and we were also one of the few organizations that lasted throughout COVID. And we had to get very creative in what we did. We tried to do different types of virtual curriculum. Um, obviously not all of them have phones here. And so we had to get really creative in what that would look like, but we actually supplied internet credits because it was ridiculous, but the the schools were requiring online work, but in the countryside schools, really no mm -hmm. one has access to internet. And so a way we kind of tried to find a solution was doing it, but we were offering practical solutions to things. We were helping with, we were getting chickens out so people could <laughs> get eggs and different things. And so we are really trying to see like, how are we going to support them in this time if we aren't doing our program, making sure we're doing check-ins with not only the kids, but also with the parents. And I think over time, then being able to see KPI, like, hey, we are here and we're invested into these kids and your families and we want you to succeed whether or not they fully bought into the whole sports notion, they recognize that our organization truly did care about our kids, their kids. And so this year was amazing because we had some of the highest parent attendance that we've ever had at our parent education sessions. And so I think that just goes to see that their trust has grown over time and that they've also been able to see um, impacts in their home from the transformation of behaviors from their kids. So I would say those are probably the biggest impacts that we've seen. And then also, we've we've only had four graduates in KPI Cambodia so far because when we first started the program, we didn't want to add 18-year-olds and then, then finish a year later. And so I think we had like the cutoff at 15. And so next year, we'll have about 20 kids graduate, but we've only had four so far, but all of them have received four-year um, university scholarships. And they are the first in their family to even make it to high school. And so it's been really cool to also see that come into fruition and see these girls and all four of them are girls to be able to like pursue higher education when that was never even a thought in their mind when they entered into high school. And so I think we've also been able to see um, the impact through our graduate students as well. Yeah, that's huge. That's like, yeah. you know, congratulations to them and congratulations to on, on your work to get them there. That, you know, that's really awesome. That's, that, that's, yeah, that's really, really big for them. Um, yeah. It's really impressive. Yeah, it's really exciting. One of them actually as well, she is on the national field hockey team now. So they're the Southeast Asia games are in May and she had never played field hockey before, but she's super athletic. And there was a coach that had coached her in basketball and they were like, Hey, we're starting a national field hockey team. You should come learn it and try out. And she made the team and is training wow. with them as well. And so it's really cool, even from 
I mean, that's huge, right? Like you're making history from your country. And so, yeah, there's a lot of like proud mom moments for me as well. <laughs> um, but I think it all goes back to having our like local Khmer coaches. Like it starts with them and seeing a local Cambodian that is also trying to push against the grain of society and saying, hey, like I'm here with you and like I want to see you succeed is really, really huge. And so I think a lot of it always goes back to having those caring adult Cambodian role models for them that are living in their community. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And it, it was kind of funny to hear you say that, you know, one of the one of the challenges that you had was, you know, explaining the concept of, you know, sport for development, you know, using sport for gender equality <laughs> to the parents and stuff. Uh, it's definitely not the first time that I've heard that <laughs> on, this, yeah. on this podcast. Definitely other groups have said the same thing. Mm -hmm. um, and But yes, I, I 100% agree. I think, you know, the concept of sport for development and sport for you know, uh, development and peace mm -hmm. is, is very it's very niche still. And it's not yeah. like, it's not talked about enough by the sport community. It's not pushed enough by the sport industry. Um, mm -hmm. So there's a lot of growth that we can do uh, to talk about, to talk about that. So, um, but yeah. yeah, no, I, this was amazing. I think like, thank you so much for coming on to talk to me <laughs> about the um, kids play international and, you know, the work that you're doing in Cambodia, it's absolutely amazing. And uh, you know, just in the four years that you've been in operating in Cambodia, it's, yeah. you know, it seems like, you've done a lot of excellent and really important work in your community um, and helping, you know, uplift all those, all those girls. So that, that was really awesome. Um, and so the last thing I wanted to ask you was, um, you know, if there's any other challenges and um, that, or yeah, any, any last challenges that you've kind of seen um, yeah. there? Yeah, I think for us as well, because we were very set on hiring, um, local Cambodian staff from the villages. When I first came, many of the coaches did not have sports experience, especially not the female teachers. And so there was a really big learning curve in the in the beginning, but we really were adamant of like, one, we want our students to be able to look and say, wow, like my coach Mary had no experience in sports before this. And like, now she's actually like training us and teaching us. Um, and so I would say like, one just really trying to invest in our local staff like was a challenge but it's well worth it if that makes sense and mm -hmm. so like we we train two times a week and so they're constantly getting training from us they have curriculum that's in Khmer and session plans and everything like that but I think as well just being able to come in and understand the cultural context and being able to be flexible and adaptable in what we're teaching because I think there's going to be challenges every day in the way that we understand and it's not necessarily super impactful to have a westerner coming and saying this is what you should believe and this is what you should think because it feels like a whole nother world but to be able to really like shape the minds of our local staff which takes time and being able to meet them where they're at and then being able to meet halfway and then figure out a solution and then create curriculum that obviously is still promoting gender equality, but it is doing it in like a culturally appropriate manner um, because we are here long-term. And so there's often times that we need to be like, okay, is this, are our kids ready for this topic? You know, like are our parents ready for this topic or do we need to really like dial it down and like make it very incremental? And so I think the biggest challenge I would say is one, making sure our coaches and our local staff um, are prepared both in sport and content. But then the second part is just being able to really um, 
be flexible and adaptable based on a lot of the cultural perceptions as well. Um, and finding what is the best way to really push this and when and how. Um, because I think sometimes Westerners come in and it's just, we want to say this is exactly how it should be and it needs to be like this and why are you doing it this way and that way and really all you're going to get is people that might say they agree with you but they really mm -hmm. don't feel it think it or act it in their day-to-day -day life and so i think just being willing to realize that this is going to take time and it might be a slower progression than i want um but it's going to be sustainable and it's going to be long lasting so yeah i would say that's like the biggest in terms of like organizational challenges, but obviously we've got rainy season, we've got cows running on the field, we've got <laughs> like our very Cambodian day-to-day -day things that often occur as well that we just have to laugh about. Yeah, well, awesome. Thank you so much for sharing, Katie. I really appreciate it. It was a really great conversa conversation. So yeah, thank you so much. Yeah, thank you so much as well. Um, I hope you have a great day. Thank you once again to Katie for taking the time to speak with me today about Kids Play International and the work that she is doing in Cambodia. So my big takeaway from this episode, I just have one, but I think it's a really important takeaway, um, is designing with intent. So these sports for development programs, we really have to think about the whole program throughout the whole life cycle. So from the start all the way to the very end and making sure that we're relating it back to the goals and the values that you know, uh, and, and, you know, what we're trying to accomplish with the program. It's very easy to just, you know, uh, set up a sports program and say, you know, here's a soccer ball or, you know, here's, here's a tennis ball or whatever, and let the kids go play. You know, there's, there is in, uh, intrinsic value in that, but you get a lot more value when you have those debriefs, when you have those discussions, when you have those reflection periods for, you know, the people that you're interacting with, the kids or whether they're adults or whoever, um, to help them connect it back to their day-to-day -day lives, you know. So how how did that sport program that, or you know, how did that how did that activity that we did, how does that relate to me in my day-to-day -day life? It makes it much more tangible for them to understand. It makes them it makes them see the value of it um, much easier. But yeah, so designing with intent is definitely my big takeaway from this episode. And that's it for today. So thank you so much for listening, and we will talk with you next time.